You're listening to Movie Homework, brought to you by the Binge Media Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Presented by BingeMedia.net. I am Jack, and I am joined today, as always, by my co-host, Chad C. How you doing, man? Doing well, buddy. I'm ready to talk some Coen Brothers movie. But I'm first, I think everyone's just clamoring to hear, how is the physical media collection going? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, so, so do you want the good news or the bad news? Hmm... I don't, is it, what could be bad about this? I don't, I don't know. I, 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 whatever you wanted to tell me first. No, no, no. Make a decision. Don't put it all on me and then be like, oh, you know, just whatever right. you want. No. Well, I can't imagine what the bad news is. So let's ask. What, I'll say the good news first. How about that? All right. Um, the good news is, and you could probably infer the bad news from the good news. I, uh, I have acquired a copy of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, RoboCop. American Werewolf in London, and uh, mm. I'm in negotiations on an Alfred Hitchcock box set right now via Reddit sub, uh, subreddit. So what do you think the bad news is? Uh, so it sounds like you've what, quadrupled in uh, in size since yeah. the last time we talked. Yeah. yeah, it's a fucking problem. It's a real fucking problem. Oh, oh man. I guess, I guess that's, uh, that's subjective. Can, most people would be like, good job, man. Or at least that are listening to this podcast. We're all fucking movie nerds, right? So, All right. So so here's here's the situation. I'm just going to lay it out. And, you know, whoever wants to psychoanalyze me for this, great. I kind of need it, right? So somebody needs to stop this. But uh, <laughs> so, so I found a subreddit called r slash media swap. And I've done a lot of different deals on Reddit for like video games over the years and CD codes and stuff like that. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with the process and this media swap one, people put up their old media to sell, right? So it turns out a lot of people buy 4Ks and Blu-rays and DVDs and all kinds of stuff, enjoy them for a while and then sell them at a pretty heavy discount on this subreddit. Um, well, inevitably when you start a collection like this, you start making a list of the stuff you want to get and... (laughs) When everything is a limited edition, you realize that the shit that you want to get is going to be very difficult to get. And then also, it's going to be very expensive when you go to buy it. Um, Mm -hmm. In the case of the RoboCop version that I wanted, it's an Arrow video release, limited edition, 4K. And uh, it went out of print over a year ago. Okay, Uh, It's like a box set for it and all this other stuff. When it released, it was like a $40 purchase. On eBay, to get it new, you got to pay $200 to start, right? So um, you start keeping an eye on these subreddit groups like MediaSwap, and then all of a sudden somebody posts one, and it's it's only 50 bucks, and you kind of can't say no. And then somebody posts a Texas Chainsaw Masker box set, and you kind of can't say no. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's where it's at. So... Hmm. <laughs> Listen, uh, you, it, it's addicting, right? You're, you're gonna 
I think the next time it's going to be even more like quadrupled this this amount. So I mean, <laughs> Just keep going, buddy. Keep uh, here's going. what I here's what I will say for the amount of time that I have spent reading up on these reviews and restorations and you know all different rankings of like what's the best stuff versus the worst stuff. Um, it has definitely proved to me that I I know what I'm looking for, and it's a very particular thing. Um, it's only 4Ks, and the, the bare minimum is it has to be a, a recent remaster or restoration of the film. If they haven't done that, there's no point in buying it, in my opinion. No. Um, you know, we want we want the best possible version, you know, of uh, what's available. So that's kind of the... Right. That's the idea, but but enough of that. Uh, there may be uh, there may be a show about that in the future. We'll see. But um, but today we are talking a Coen Brothers movie. Now we've talked about a couple of Coen Brothers movies over the years, um, and I've had a couple of them on my list to revisit for a long time. Uh, we didn't have an obvious theatrical tie-in, so figured this was a good time to do one of those Coen movies, and we landed on. 2013's Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, I got a little bit of the trailer here for you now. What'd you say you played? Folk songs. Folk songs. Solo act? No, I had a partner. Threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. George Washington Bridge? You throw yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge, traditionally. George Washington Bridge. Who does that? If I had wings, I'd know Explain the cat. What's its name? I I don't know. It's the Gorkine's cat. It slipped out and I don't have the key. My honey, Um, so Coen Brothers movie coming out in theaters. I was excited when I heard this was coming out. Um, you know, 2013. Chad, you and I knew each other at this point. Um, this was like some prime movie watching years. Um, but right. I cannot honestly say whether or not I saw this in the theater. I think this may have actually been seen first at home because um, I don't. I don't remember going to the theater for this. Uh, I assume you probably got there though, right? I did. So you lied to our audience, sir, because we are tying this in with Mr. Ethan Cohen's Driveaway Dolls that releases this Friday. If you're listening to it on Friday, February twenty third, um, no, not the datus. How could I forget? <laughs> <laughs> I actually am interested in that movie, but I, I didn't even. Re- yeah, that that shows you how like slow it's been. I didn't even know that that was coming out. Yeah, exactly. Um, welcome to theatrical distribution in uh, the early uh, weeks of 2024. Here, it's been a barren wasteland. So, yeah, yeah uh, yes, I did. I did watch this in uh, theaters, but you are right. This was a weird, uh, kind of a weird. Uh, I guess, I guess amalgamation of like the Coens. They they started making this movie without funding and whatever else, like without a studio, without distribution, and they just like decided to do their own thing, which they you know the hired T Bone and all that to do the music. And then CBS Films, which is not even a thing anymore, they are the ones who picked this up for distribution. Um, they remember the fucking I already worked around the clock Harrison Ford movie. I can't even remember what it was. Oh, uh, famous uh, in binge lore. Yeah. Oh, fuck. 
Brendan um, Fraser. It, that was one of their high like profile CBS films releases, though. Is what I like. That was like their first one. So that's where okay. it reminds me of CBS films. But they were yeah. very small knit <laughs> studio at the time. And sure. so yeah, they just distributed this, and it, it didn't do well. But I do have box office, so I can tie that into this. Um, yeah. it, it only made thirteen point two million domestic. Uh, and it made $32 million worldwide. Yeah, it, it, it had its premiere at Cannes that year, and then December 6th is when this movie released. And it released with a few weeks after uh, Frozen and Catching Fire in mm. the uh, Spike Lee old boy remake that we don't speak of. Mm. Uh, a few weeks after that, and then it, it got the jump on The Hobbit, Desolation of Smaug, and uh, Tyler Perry's Medea, Christmas, and Saving Mr. Banks. Man, this is like throwback, like 2013. Yeah. Eleven years, and her and Anchorman two a few weeks after. Uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really a big successful uh, Coen Brothers movie by any means. Very small knit production, and uh, had two Oscar noms for achievement in cinematography, which also not a Roger Deakins movie. He was uh, he was busy making Skyfall, I believe. Uh, so this is their dude Bruno Delbanel, who I think they worked with on Paris Jatem, that short, and then oh, yeah. uh, it also it also got. Uh, sound mixing nominee of course for the music so nice. yeah uh yeah I, I do remember watching this and it was one of the independent theaters in kc i watched this at uh and i remember watching it and instantly this was like the height of all those fucking spoken word band i mean you know like of monsters and men and mumford oh, yeah. and sight right 11 12 13 all those bands were just at the yeah. fucking peak of their powers which I can't say I'm sad that that music has gone, <laughs> gone away, per se, right? <laughs> I like folk music fine, right, and Americana music, but that it, it reached, like, this weird level of, like, radio play pop almost right. influence with it, and it just got really cringy after a while. Everybody's rocking handlebar mustaches, and <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. It just got, it got ridiculous for a while there. Well, um, that, that was actually going to be my first question, was I feel like maybe we've, touched on this in the past but i so i mean i i i like some folk music but i don't i don't go too deep with it uh, you know i'm Same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a bob dylan guy for sure not all bob dylan but i i definitely love me some dylan um crosby stills and nash obviously mm-hmm. neil young uncle neil he's got a lot of folk influences and some of his songs are kind of dip into the folk range but I didn't know where you stood on on folk music in general, or maybe like a particular era of folk music. If you liked something more than something else, or or not at all. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, yes, I, I like folk Americana, the blues, kind of all of this. I don't know. I feel like that genre always like kind of gets lumped in. Um, yes, I, I like it to a certain extent. It, it just, I think, I can only listen to a, like a little bit of it at a time, right? I, I just, sure. After a while, it gets pretty uh, repetitive for me. Yes. Um, which I fucking, we'll get to him. The fucking John Goodman in the backseat. <laughs> yeah. Go, going nuts on what, like, his his take on what folk music is. <laughs> GC. We play all the notes, not just a couple of little chords on your, your ukulele there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I go, yeah, it just gets a little bit, like I said, repetitive and that's kind of the same thing over and over. And I'm like, all right, we got it. We got it. I, I really do like a lot of the songs in this movie, though. It's kind of reminiscent. It's in, yeah. it's in the T-Bone, the T-Bone Burnett. I mean, I really I think T-Bone's really he knows what the fuck he's doing when it comes to movies. And so a lot of the stuff that he totally. writes, when the, whether it be Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Or even like Crazy Heart, which is like 
almost this movie like 30 years in the future or something like Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. aging musician um but yeah I think he does a really really good job as far as the music goes in this and I think that some of the stuff I think is more catchy even than <laughs> some of that radio stuff but yeah. Marcus Mumford also helps write a lot of these songs too who is of course married to Carrie Mulligan and there's all the weird fucking tie-ins here and yeah yeah it's yeah. nope. There's some stuff there, but uh, but yeah, I mean, right. so there's a there, there's a few different angles to take with this. I mean, this is part of a uh, somewhat unique class of films that immediately was released on uh, home video via the Criterion Collection. Um, mm. I feel like we were talking about physical media, so it's actually I, I think it's actually relevant to bring this up with this movie because there are some filmmakers who. Whenever they make a movie, it's pretty much guaranteed that the Criterion Collection is going to release it for them. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one on that list is Wes Anderson. Um, Kurosawa, most of his filmography is on the Criterion Collection. If it's not there right now, I would be willing to bet in the next five years it all will be. Um, and there are a couple Cohen titles. But this was... I, I'm trying to think back, but I think this was the first one that was officially released by Criterion. And mm-hmm. Criterion's a funny distribution label because... They have a very um, eclectic collection, right? I mean, they, they were, in my opinion, they were kind of at the forefront of this whole physical media thing 20 years ago when they worked with, you know, you know they had um, the company Janus Films. And Janus Films is a film restoration uh, warehouse. And essentially, they work with Janus Films to restore movies and then put them out on uh, physical media. Back in the day, it was Laserdisc and DVD, then Blu-ray, now, now 4K. Um, but that it's difficult to describe exactly what's in the criteria, like, like what determines a criterion release, right? Like Mm -hmm. I saw recently, they're releasing a trilogy of films by this, uh, filmmaker from Senegal, Senegalese filmmaker. I can't remember his name, but in college, a couple friends of mine saw one of his movies called Hala, X-A-L-A, and when they described the end of the movie to me, I, it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Essentially, I'm going to spoil Hala for anybody who gives a fuck about this, but um, the movie ends with a man standing in front of like four or five other people while they're all just spitting on him, and he's sort of like whining and crying, and then the film just freeze frames with this weird fucking music playing over it, and it's it's over. Um, so that's in the Criterion Collection, and then also <laughs> RoboCop's in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> so it, it's just, I don't know how this happened or, or why, what's the decision tree. I know Anatomy of a Fall is coming to the Criterion Collection, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but it, it, it always, if something's in the collection, it's usually worth at least talking about. Can't say that everything I've seen from Criterion is great, but there are a lot of great films in there. Um, yep. So I think that's a, that's an interesting aspect to this because No Country for Old Men will never be there. Lebowski will never be there. Fargo will never be there. But they did a restoration and a 4K for Blood Simple. So, yeah. again, I don't know what that decision tree looks like on which films get in and which films don't. But I think it's notable that this one is in there. And I'm not sure why. But, um, but yeah. So... You know, we were talking about folk music a little bit and, and Lewin Davis, but let me, let me just give you a quick rundown of the movie. It, it's a character study, right? So, essentially, Lewin Davis, it's 1961 in you know Greenwich Village, New York, and he's part of the folk music scene. He's, per, he's a performer, he's a songwriter and a singer, he plays guitar, and we find out pretty quickly that his 
singing partner has died, and it seems like he is pretty beat up about it. Whenever this guy is brought up there, you know, he, he's, it's very clear that he's depressed about it, and he's not really dealing with it in a healthy way. Um, at the same time, he is an obstinate prick to pretty much everybody around him at all times. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's couch surfing uh, from beginning to end of this movie. He's kind of just floating along, figuring out what to do. Um, he ends up inadvertently letting uh, a cat out while he's leaving his affluent friend's house after couch surfing that particular night. The uh, Gorefiends. The Gorefiends, yeah. The Gorefiends. <laughs> uh, really funny I, couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. I, that guy is from uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, I think. Uh, ah, I, okay. I always recognize him from that because he's so distinctive looking. So even when he has all that crazy makeup on in Star Trek, you know it's that guy. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it's just sort of like the trials and tribulations of this guy's life. I mean, watching it this time, I, I, I got to tell you, I was immediately reminded of Bo is Afraid. Because it's the same kind of like boil the frog type story, you know? Mm -hmm. um, this guy, everything he's doing goes badly, and then he reacts to it in the... Like, the only wrong answer is always the one that he's choosing, you know? Yeah. Um, the sequence where he sings and plays guitar with, uh, you know, Justin Timberlake and, and fucking Adam Driver... Mm -hmm. um, there's this song, it's kind of catchy. He doesn't love it because it's not, you know, artistically pure or whatever. And rather than signing over his, uh, you know, his name on, on the writing credits of the song to get the royalties, he takes a $200 check in the moment and just, just leaves. I mean, everything this guy does is just yeah. fucking stupid. <laughs> Cannot <laughs> a, get out of his own way. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, this could easily be called... A week in the life of Lewin Davis. <laughs> right, right. And not that there's a ton to spoil with this movie, because again, it's a character study, and it's a series of different vignettes about this guy and like what his days are like. I think there's something really Cohen weird about the way that this movie ends, you know? Um, mm -hmm. We have a beginning to this movie of, of Lewin performing, and then almost... Right after he's done, he gets off stage, walks outside because the bar owner says there's a guy in a hat and a suit who knows him, goes out to the alley, gets punched in the face. Uh, the guy yells at him for, I guess, yelling at a previous engagement. And then an hour and 40 minutes later, we see him do that, and it happens to him again. So I don't know if this movie is like a wild time loop or, or what, mm. um, but... I think I have a theory on what that is, and I, I want to come back to that afterwards. So let's let's do a little bit of the the, the film analysis first before we jump to that. Um, sure. So, a couple passing observations. Um, this is another movie, another Coen Brothers movie with John Goodman, where he pops up in a sort of pivotal uh, secondary role, where I, I'm not. I don't know. I don't even know what he's there for, really, other than just to give Lewin more of a hard time. But mm -hmm. this and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, where you know he's playing the Cyclops and that. Oh um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> he, he's he's just a he's one of the great character actors. Every time he pops up, he's pretty great. Makes a movie. Wait, what are they? They call them like ten percenters or something. Anytime mm -hmm. they show up and make a movie ten percent better. Um, 
Oh, yeah, he absolutely. Does. I mean, this this movie is such a good companion piece to Oh Brother. I mean, it, from the songs to I mean, yeah, it's it's just like sister piece. I mean, I think the Coens might have even said that at one point. Like, like some of the songs we feel like just like kind of flow with both movies, which they definitely do. Um, mm-hmm. That movie is mm-hmm. movies with a lot about music. Yeah, uh, and one of the things I saw, so I I had an opportunity to watch the movie, but also see some of the special features on that Criterion disc, mm-hmm. and one of the um. One, one of the documentaries, it's all about the folk scene from the perspective of a guy who actually lived and, and like worked at the time in Greenwich Village. Um, I think it's called Before the Flood. And the whole perspective of the documentary is explaining, like, yes, when Bob Dylan arrived, that was a seminal moment in folk. But what you don't realize and what history has kind of forgotten is that there were these droves of folk singers who were in New York before Dylan and were playing old standards and, you know, trying to live the beatnik life of couch surfing and making just enough money to get by, getting your little espresso and then going to the club to perform that night. And, and that's, that was kind of your day to day. But that until Bob Dylan broke through, nobody else was able to do that. And that, that was very much a, uh, like a, like a preferred kind of purgatory for people mm. for a while there until, things eventually broke through. Um, I Obviously, we weren't around at that time. I didn't really know any of the artists that this guy was talking about, and that was kind of his point. He was saying that, you know, history's forgotten these people, but they were there, and they were important, and maybe things were not as rose-colored as, as you know, the, the stories of the successes that came out of there are, um, which I thought was an interesting perspective. Um, the other thing I really liked about some of the, uh, comparisons to the time versus the movie, there's something very interesting to me about the romanticized way people think about this era in Greenwich Village, the Simon and Garfunkels, the Peter, Paul and Mary's and the Bob Dylan's, um, where in reality it may have been a much harder life and much more sort of raw experience for the people who were trying to make it at the time. Um, and I think the movie does a good job of showing this where you go in, it starts, we have this really nice performance. And then from there, you just get a lot of shit happening to Lewin that you don't expect. Um, the situation with the cat arises, this whole, uh, uh, pers- uh, perspective, I guess situation is the only word for it, um, with June, right? So she's just pissed at him because he is, in her words, a fucking asshole. Oh, yeah, Gene, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Carrie Mulligan, yeah. Or, yeah, Gene, sorry. Um, but, like, she just has no patience for him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so angry. These, yeah, they have these, like, this kind of one-sided argument. Um, I-, I did grab a little bit of this here. Let's Let's give this a listen. You don't know if it's mine. No, how would I know? So it could be Jim's. Yes, asshole! But you don't want it either way, to be clear. To be clear, asshole, you fucking asshole. I want very much to have it if it's Jim's. That's what I want. But since I don't know, you not only fuck things up by fucking me and maybe making me pregnant, but even if it's not yours, I can't know that. So I have to get rid of what might be a perfectly fine baby, a baby I want, because everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. 
Okay. I see. It, such a, okay, so so here's a question for you. Do you have sympathy for Lewin Davis in this movie? Um slightly. I think I think he's not a likable character at all. I, I he's not. He makes a lot of bad decisions. Uh, I think where the sympathy comes from is like you see how shitty of a week this guy's had, and it's toward the end of the uh, the movie when he's you know he's lashing out at the lady on stage, he's being a dick. But it's like this guy's had a shit week up leading up to this, and there's a lot of uh, yeah. So I, I kind of sympathize in that way. I don't yeah. yeah. I don't think he's he's likable. He's a little bit relatable just because I'm just like there's something about Oscar Isaac I think is so good that he like just yeah. kind of draws you in like that. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a dick, man. He's a, he, he almost in every scenario, uh, no matter what, he's a dick. But it's also there's so much more to it though. Like with his partner, that's not really touched on why he committed suicide. You know, he's right. just he's left at this his own. You you hear that, and each time that she's like, "Oh, I miss him," it, it, that that gets brought up. It's it's mm-hmm. him with like a oh, what is the mystery behind that? Which I'm I'm glad they don't really touch on that because it kind of leads adds to the mystique of this guy. Because I, right. I think he, I think Louis Davis is very talented, right? I think, I think Oscar Isaac, he sings all these songs. He's a really good singer, and absolutely, uh, yeah. And I think he, 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 he well, even at the F Murray, we'll we can jump around, but the, the F Murray Abraham scene when he gets to the, uh, what is it, the Great Horn or what is the yeah, Go to yeah. Horn or whatever it's called, it's like he, he does this immaculate, like really great, like intimate performance, and it's just like, yeah, there's not much money here. It's just like, oh, this is like stabbed to the fucking heart of this guy, like right. <laughs> travel all this way and stuff. Uh, but yeah, he he's just a dick. He really is a dick. No, in every scenario, he's still a dick. He loses the cat. He gets the cat. He brings it back. It's not the right cat. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. nonstop with this guy. But I mean, what what do you do? You sympathize with him at all, or how do you feel it? How are you? Feeling? I go back and forth, and I feel like it's it's an ultimate like nature versus nurture thing for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't know if he's an asshole because of what he's dealing with, mm. or he like like it's a like it's a result of his environment, or he was always just a dickhead. You know, you yeah. you can't know. The thing that I find kind of interesting um, with his partner was it Mikey? I, I'm trying to remember Mikey and Lewin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timlin yeah, and so, Davis. Timlin and Davis was their Hollenotes, you know. The name. That's right. So, his partner killed himself, and you get the sense that Lewin has been doing this for a while. When the movie starts, I mean, it's you know, again, the movie has like a cyclical nature. So, the last fifteen minutes of the movie sync up with the first ten, and you know, everybody kind of knows the score and some people are nicer than others. And there's, I think there's a lot you could read into how different characters are interacting with him and in different ways with the movie. Um, But I do kind of lean towards his partner killed himself, maybe because he couldn't deal with the day to day rejection of living Mm. on this circuit. You know, Um, it, it kind of feels that way to me. And if that's the case, then I do have more sympathy for Lewin, but you know, uh, directorial choice here. Um, we aren't given enough to say definitively one way or the other. So it's interesting. I, I he's a tough character to root for, mm-hmm. but at a certain point in this movie, probably, I don't know, somewhere between when he hits the cat on the road and mm-hmm. gets back to New York and has this like really kind of 
down in the dumps conversation with, um, oh my God, uh, fuck, Jane, Jane, um, June, yeah, yeah, wait, wait. is it oh, yeah, June, June or sorry, it's Gene and Jim, Gene, Gene is Jean. Terry Mulligan, Jim, Jim is Justin Timberlake, yeah, yeah, yeah. God yeah. damn it, too many fucking Jane <laughs> names, um, but when he has that conversation with Gene and she's like, oh, are you just going to give up on this? It's weird that she's still pissed off at him. But she wants him to stick around at the same time. And I don't know, there's a weird thing going on there where I, I'm kind of on his side all of a sudden. Yeah. And then he flips out at the lady at the at the performance and then he gets punched in the face again the next day. So I, I feel like I keep going back and forth with it. Mm. Um, yeah. Conflict. He's not nice to the gore fiends either. Definitely just uses them to crash on their couch. And, exactly. You know, just, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not he's not a likable guy but i think his performance to your gene the the gene thing i think i saw i, I watched the was it the inside inside lewin davis on the i think it's on the criterion oh, yeah. but it's also on the blu-ray like it's like a 40 minute kind of piece and she yep. talks about how she thinks that gene is like this nurturer of you know this kind of music scene in that area and so she like wants him to succeed she wants troy when he's staying at their place let him stay there to succeed you know, she fucks the goddamn uh, bar right. owner just to get him on stage, essentially. So it's like, yeah. Uh, did, did you take that scene, the final scene you were talking about with that they have together, where he's like, I love you. And she's like, stop. I mean, did you take that as like, oh, they probably fucking hooked up again, right? <laughs> if we're being it kind of seems like it, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, she's not a good person either. They're bad people, no. right? They're just cheating on him behind his back. And, like, she's trying to throw project on him. You're a bad guy. You fucked me and blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, fuck off. You're a shitty person, too. But, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. We got JT. You're coming back home to JT. And, oh, it's, you, yeah. know, you know, <laughs> what do you get? I mean, yeah, what do, come on now. But, um. But yeah, so so this movie, one thing I will say, though, I think it's actually one of the better representations of, of what it must be like to be like a starving artist. Um, yeah. You know, I, I know that there are other films that tackle this subject, but I've got a little bit of a fresh perspective on this just because somebody that I know um, is an artist. And this person has been struggling for a long time trying to figure out what the fuck they're going to do. And it's interesting to see a person who you can tell just like in their soul, they can't do anything else. Like they have to do this thing and it has to work. And if it doesn't work, they'll just go jump off a bridge and that's it. Um, and you definitely feel a bit of that with, with Lewin in this. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting view of that. I think it's an interesting view of what depression must feel like. I, I myself don't uh, don't have depression, so I, I can't speak to what it feels like personally. Hmm. But I get the sense that the the idea that like you know you're you're kind of reminded of of trauma and it sets you off and you know you don't have a, a place where you can just sit in a corner and, and chill out for a couple hours and. and relax and reset your mind you're always on the move you don't have a stable environment they're going back to you don't have a support system you know the, the scene where he goes to see his father who's suffering de from dementia there's nothing there um i can't imagine what that's all like but i i was reminded of the person that i know while i was watching this a bit i, I thought that was kind of uh i don't know an angle that i hadn't really ever thought about with this movie before um yeah but yeah um Another cool thing I think about this movie, you mentioned Timberlake, but the fact that Adam Driver pops up here um, oh, yeah. right before everybody kind of knows who Adam Driver is. Um, 
hilarious little bit part. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing you oh, want yeah. to see from uh, from one of our boys. I'll say. Listen, listen, the girl, the girls' hive knew Adam Driver at this point. That's that's the first time I ever. Like, girls was the reason I knew Adam Driver, but yeah, he got this little bit, and then it just kind of exploded from there. The fucking yeah. <laughs> After this, he, he's fucking swallow Ren, and then you're. I mean, off. yeah, we there's quite a few, uh, you know reunions here too right it's this is the pre star wars force awakens reunion or with poe and uh and, and kylo ren and then we That's get right. we get the drive reunion with uh, old oscar isaac and carrie which they were married in drive as well so yeah yep, yep. Uh, there. Mm-hmm. um the uh yeah so and, and you mentioned before as well something i wanted to bring up but yeah uh Oscar Isaac is a good singer, and from what I can tell, pretty good guitar player. Um, yeah. So I mean, you know, enough practice with one song and four chords and finger picking enough, and you'll get it down. But he was very naturalistic, and I have to say, uh, from from the guitar playing that I've seen on screen, he, he he looked very good. So he definitely learned how to play and sing, and I think he did very well. Um, which adds a lot, I think, to the character because you're never in a spot where you're kind of questioning whether or not he has skill. It's clear he has skill. That's not really the question. The question is, is does he have the right skill at the right time? You know, and, and I think the the whole um, Bob Dylan cameo at the end of the movie is almost like. I mean, it's, I, I want to say final slap in the face, but then he literally goes outside and gets punched in the face again. But like. The final metaphorical slap in the face is just like, you've been at this for so long, but here comes the guy who's going to just stomp on all your dreams. And uh, mm. yeah, you're, you're, you're fucked either way. Um, kind of an interesting so, angle to go with it. So, all right. So I guess we can bring that. We'll get to the superlative soon, I think. The, um, all right. So you're, you, my take of this movie has always been the, I mean, the beginning of the movie is... It's the it's a flash forward to the end of the movie, right? I mean, it's he he just doesn't sing the other song, and then yeah, he gets punched in the face by the same guy that he was talking shit on his wife. He even says the same thing: "My wife, you fucking blah." Like, and then then that that's where the movie picks up from. Are you taking it as something differently, or is like I am, I am, yeah. I I don't think that it's a flash forward. I I think this is one of those Coen Brothers things where. I, I think there's there's a bunch of different things that they're doing with this movie, but I think the movie structure is meant to mimic a folk song. And most folk songs, it, mo- most, I would say, Dylan-esque folk songs, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, Times They Are Changing, whatever. There's a lot of kind of struggle and strife, and there's a chorus, you know? No matter what, he always comes back to the Times They Are Changing, right? Um Hard Rain's Gonna Fall is the same way. Uh, Hurricane has an aspect of this. And, and folk songs tend to be about some, somebody singing about either their life or a situation that they know that is bad. Or it's not as good as it could be. And it's all about the struggle. So like his song, Hang Me, Oh Hang Me, follows this structure too. Uh, you know, he's saying, I'll, I'll be dead and gone, wouldn't mind hanging if it wasn't for being underground, you know, I've been all around this world, right? Uh, okay, that's that's the song, and that's essentially the structure of the movie. He mm-hmm. he essentially wants to be the whipping boy. He seems to actually relish in that because it, it almost feels like it gives him artistic merit, like artistic uh, fuel, 
And the refrain always comes back late in the song to say the same thing that it said at the beginning. And I think that this movie is actually, like, structurally supposed to act like a folk song. Um, And I think that's just a weird Coen Brothers touch. I don't have an explanation for it. You could be right. I just, I've never thought it was a flash forward. I've just always assumed that it was just some weird eccentricity and supposed to be a representation of the fact that he's just in purgatory and he doesn't grow as a person and he doesn't change as a person. And until he does, he's just going to keep getting punched in the face every, every week. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with yeah that sentiment. There's, there's, there's no plot of this movie. It's a week in the life of this movie. Like there's no growth. He doesn't grow at all. I mean, other than, you know, we get the punching scene at the beginning, kind of the bit, and then he lets the, the cat gets out, and then at the end he doesn't let the cat out, right? And then he goes back. So that's where I'm, like, he gets to the venue at that point, and it's the same right. dude in the alley waiting for him. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, uh, we're on the same page as far as, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's there's, there's no growth. He doesn't, he doesn't grow at all right. as a person. He's, he's just doing the same fucking thing. It's a fucking cycle. Right? It's just uh, repeating the process, repeating the process, and this is just right. that, that week. But, like, even the uh, the road trip scene, essentially, I think that can even be seen as, like, you know, he, he's with these two fucking jobber, lifelong musicians, right? And it's the, uh, what what is his name? Ronald, what the fuck? Is, Roland. Roland, Roland Turner, fucking, I, I want to say. Yes, that's right, Roland Turner. Yeah, he's just, he's just like his future, right? It's like right. this jazz musician, he's doing his thing. It's just like this, this whole process, he's just repeating it and he's not probably going to get out of this this cycle. He's not going to break through probably. And yeah, it's, it's it's a very sad movie at the end, but it's it's kind of just, it is what it is, right? So, well, I, okay, so that's another oh. question I had for you. But before we get to that, the weirdness of the ending, I want to I want to dive into a little bit more, and the fact that it mirrors the beginning exactly. This is not the first time the Coens have done shit like this in their movies. I mean, I remember seeing Barton Fink for the first time, and you know, this is going to be a spoiler for Barton Fink, but the whole movie, Barton is in this hotel room, and there's this painting on the wall of now that I'm ah fuck I'm blanking. I think it's a woman sitting at the beach with a seagull, right? And uh-huh. he sees this painting the entire. The whole runtime of the movie, he's looking to it for inspiration for his wrestling movie. He doesn't know what it means. He doesn't know how to get out of this writer's block. And you get all the way to the end of the movie, and it ends on that exact shot at the beach. And I don't know what the fuck that means to this day. It's just a weird Coen Brothers flourish. And I don't know if it's meant to say this guy was looking in the wrong place for inspiration or or what. I, I genuinely... I think it's it's one of the things the Coens do every once in a while to kind of put it in put the ball in your court and say like yeah what do you think about this like I'm mm-hmm. not going to tell you what do you think um, I think the beginning and end are, of this are kind of like that um, yeah so for sure yeah um, the god damn it I lost my train of thought that's uh, oh yeah the last thing I wanted to talk about here so. This movie's about a guy who seems like he's stuck in life, can't advance. When he tries to advance, he just makes every wrong decision, every turn, no matter what he does. What is this movie about, really? I mean, it's a character study, and we've talked about the bullet points of what happens in the movie. But what do you think this movie is is trying to say? 
I mean, I, I honestly don't know if it's really trying to say anything, right? I, 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 I don't know. Do, do ever, does every movie have to say something? I, I don't know. I feel like this movie is like like we said. There's 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 these hangout movies, right? There's a lot of those. You're just you're dropped into a world with a character. Uh, he's making decisions that you maybe obviously don't agree with, and you're just kind of here with, and that's, I, I don't know, that's that's always how I've really kind of taken this movie. It's just a week, and this dude who's kind of, he's fucking up everything, he's not going to get shit right, it's, it's not, it, yeah. it doesn't go with right, I don't know, I, I've never really kind of taken the day, I, what, enlighten me, what, what, what are you taking out of this? I, obviously this, I mean, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I've struggled with it. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know for mm-hmm. certain. The only thing I could come up with was I think that there's an angle to this movie that is trying to criticize the idea of commerce in art, right? Because so this guy's trying to make a living and he's trying to get ahead, be heard. He, ult- he doesn't necessarily announce what his intentions are. It's more of a survival kind of thing at all times with him. You know, he needs to fucking do something and determine a, a path forward. And he just doesn't. No matter what he does, he-, he-, he makes the wrong decisions and he can't go anywhere. You know, he goes to the audition. F. Murray Abraham tells him, like you said, you know, I don't think there's any money in this. He goes to his manager at the beginning of the movie, and the manager seems to not want to help him or, or really pay him any money at all. Um, he goes to pay his dues to get back into the Merchant Marines, finds out that his license was thrown out from something he told his sister to throw out earlier in the movie, comes back, can't get his dues back. I mean, it's just, no matter what this guy does, if he wants to be a starving artist, he has to starve to be an artist. That's it. Um, and I don't know if this part of this movie is the Coen's sort of reckoning with that in some uh, some way. Um, I don't know. But yeah, um, I don't know. I feel like the movie could be read a couple different ways and uh, that's just the one that I'm reading it now, so who knows if I'm right or not. But um, Okay, so probably superlative time. What do you think? I think so. I think it's time. All right, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's jump in with then. That's that, dude! This is the Kupka. This is the Scene Stealer or Cameo. Um, I'll kick this one off. Uh, All right, look, good. I, I'm a big Amadeus fan, okay? I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, F. Murray Abraham shows up in a movie. I'm going to be fucking excited, all right? I just am. And I'm now being reminded that I forgot to play a clip that I pulled earlier. So I'm just batting a thousand tonight, but let me, uh, <laughs> let me play a little bit of the audition here. There was fiddling and dancing On the day the babe was born But poor Queen Jane Beloved They cold as a stone lay cold as a stone I don't see a lot of money here <laughs> <laughs> it's brutal <laughs> uh, but yeah for me if Mary Abraham gets the cup go wow so I wrote two down anticipating you were picking the one that I was like alright I'll pivot 
It's tough for me, Jack. It is tough for me. I thought you were for sure going with John Goodman here. Um, I, I he's so fucking good. He's it, just it, we'll we'll get to it in future superlatives. But I think he's amazing in the backseat. But I'm going yeah. with Adam Driver as Al Cody here. Um, nice. He doesn't have a lot of lines in this movie, but it's shout. Uh oh, in fucking outer. <laughs> Face, face. <laughs> he's he's just so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and they're having their conversation, and he's just doing his fucking vocal uh, cues and getting ready. Oscar Isaac gives him the deadpan. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. Uh, I had to go with Al Cody here, or Arthur. What was it? Milgram is his real name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Good, yep, good, that's good pick. All right, nope. let's uh, let's go with the Valley. Well, fucking what the fuck. Punchable face. Did you have anybody for this? I mean, it's Troy Nelson easily for me in this movie. Uh, or his real name is Stark Sands. That might be a douchier name than Troy Nelson. What That's are we rough. doing, Stark? What are we doing here? Uh, he's just this fucking goofball character from the second you see him just sitting yeah. there. I know you. Uh, and then the scene he wakes up. And he's just slurping his cereal and milk yeah. and uh, very punchable face. I'm sorry I had to yeah. go there. What about you? I, <laughs> what I about... understand. Um, quick sidebar for you. Don't know how I ended up down this rabbit hole a couple weeks ago, but uh, uh, I learned that in Japan, if you go and order ramen, it is actually a sign of respect to the chefs that you slurp your ramen. It's a thing there. Interesting. It's fucking weird, it's fucking weird man, but, you know, whatever. I don't like those manners. Yeah, I don't know about that. But you uh, that's a whole thing. I'll send you a video later. That's a whole thing. All right. Um, all right. Uh, Valley for me, uh, to me, there was just, like, one choice for this. It's fucking Lewin Davis. Like, he's such a cocksucker in this at times. Yeah, like, I have sympathy for him. But at the same time, like, he kind of deserves every every hit that he gets <laughs> based yeah. on what we see. So uh, I had to go with our, uh, our title character here. So Your choice? Tell me something about something I was reading about. The Ammon. This is the uh, best quote of the movie. I, look, I'm BF Murray heavy here, but I had to take it. I, the fact that he just log pause. I don't see a lot of money here. Is the most <laughs> brutal ice pick to the heart I've seen in a movie in a while. Um, yep. Absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I, I, I love that line. Well, leave it to me. It's got to be about the dicks, bro. Uh, it's 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 Jean's scene with him. It's a little bit further after what you played earlier. And she's saying, you know, if you ever have sex again, which is, would be an insult to women, you should be wearing condom on condom and then wrap it in electrical tape. You should just be walking around always in one big giant condom because you are shit. <laughs> it's just she's so angry and she just delivers it so well, and he just is like, all right, <laughs> just accepts it. <laughs> just a lot of anger. Just too uh, much. So much, so much fury. Just so mad. I guess so. <laughs> I know this is a hot take. All right, most entertaining scene. What do you have? I had to go with a stretch of the, the road trip, man. I had, I think that's, the whole scene is is just great. Like, the, the, the whole stretch of the movie. Uh, Garrett Hedlund's just all quiet over there, doesn't say much, but you've got Roland, or yeah, what, Garrett Hedlund's character is Johnny Five, right? Right. And Roland Turner, he's just going on tangents about this and this, and 
Yeah, that you get you get a little bit of the Oscar Isaac uh, Lewin Davis banter with him. He's playing the guitar at one point just to fuck with him. Uh, I, yeah. yeah, I think that whole stretch is really great. What about yeah, you? Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, Garrett Hedlund, I think, needs to be on the list of uh, actors alongside like like Taylor Kitsch and um, oh god, what's her name? Uh, the one who played Elizabeth Salander in the fourth Dragon Tattoo movie. Um, fuck. What's her name? She was in First Man. Um, in, in any case, oh, Hollywood yeah, actors yeah, yeah. that, like, for whatever fucking reason, they just, they are not good enough. And audiences just don't like them. Um, mm. I mean, Headland was, uh, he was in Tron, right? Like Tron, Le- Tron Legacy, and this was, yeah, a couple years after that. Yeah, he, uh, he's not good. <laughs> I mean, he's fine in the movie, but, like, not good enough to be whatever kind of A-lister studios want him to be. For Yeah, like, he... Yeah, he doesn't have many lines in this movie at all. No. Right. Um, all right. Uh, I know I keep going back to the well here, but my favorite scene is the audition scene. I, I just think it's such an interesting uh, juxtaposition of you see d- d- that Lewin has talent. Like, he he does. I mean, you can't sing and play like that and not have talent. And it's not even that he's told that he's bad. He actually knows that he's he's decent. It's that he's told, I can't do anything with this, is what's so crushing. Because you can imagine that Lewin has practiced a lot, kind of tried to hone his craft here, but he's never going to get ahead by himself. And that's just that's just his lot in life. Um, it's the whole movie encapsulated in one scene, really. But, yep. uh, good stuff. I didn't know I you mean, loved F. Murray wow. so much. Oof, F. Sorry, talking, over, talking over that drop. Yeah. <laughs> F. Murray's a fucking man. Um, yeah, I, I love. Uh, I love. He pops up in a lot of stuff. Weirdly, I rewatched All the President's Men last week. And he's oh got a little yeah, part at the beginning of that. He does. Um, yeah, I just rewatched a, that recently too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, movie's dope as hell. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he's got a little bit part in Scarface. Obviously, Grand Budapest. Um, yeah, yeah, I think he he weirdly is just he's a little bit of an underrated actor. And uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I. I uh, I know we did the docket a while back, and I did one with Jim Law for Amadeus, and mm-hmm. not to totally spoil that episode if you haven't listened to it, but um, it was a really good topic of conversation, um, surprisingly. So that movie kicks ass, and I think F. Murray's the man. But, but yeah, um, all right, uh, the TM, most ent- uh, what's held up the best or the worst? I didn't really have anything for worst here. Um, I just thought that the direction is held up really well. Um, you know, this was still when the Coens had that sort of mind meld where they were co-writing, co-directing, and still working as a team. Um, and yeah, it just, the movie flows very well. It looks good. Um, everything's very gray, but it's, it's supposed to be, right? I mean, it's, it's New England, uh, shitty weather, uh, makes sense until they go to Chicago and then come back, but, uh. Uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, it, it, I think it's really well directed. I think that it's the exact movie that they set out to make, um, just like so many of their other movies are. Uh, whether or not you love it is is kind of a different story, but I, I, th- I still think it's it's very well put together. Yeah, it's great. Um, I I had for yeah, I didn't have anything for the worst, but for the best, it. The Coens have such a great way of all of their movies having such a timelessness about them, I think. 
because they have they have so many period pieces or or a lot of you know in that that time uh and i think this movie just kind of exemplifies that it it does a great job of just setting you in this early 60s era in greenwich village and it does a great job of that and like yeah pre-bob dylan and yeah it, it just has very much a timelessness about it so that's what i got with excellent pmc best use of music here i'm sure you got a couple solid options but uh, what'd you end up leaning towards I wrote two. You're probably you probably take the one. I, I went with please, Mr. Kennedy. It's just so funny. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous that between the three of them, uh, I, I've listened to the score a lot and over the years. I, I really, really dig this. Like I said, I, I'm not the biggest, you know, Americana or folk music fan, but uh, this, you know, movie's a little different, right? It, I've seen saw this movie. I've seen this movie a lot now at this point, and you know, it just kind of gets in your head. And it, that movie, that scene is just so funny and. The song itself is the nature of it. It's just so ridiculous. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What'd you go with? Um, so, it's like you said, there's there's a lot of really good music in this. Um, I actually don't know the name of this song, but the second song that he plays at his last performance of the film, it's the same song that he, uh, you know, kind of gets interrupted while he's at the, uh, what, are, what are they, the Greenblatt's or something? What, what, the, the affluent uh, friends that he has that he stays on their couch all the time. Oh, the the gore fiends, yeah. The, the gore, gore, <laughs> gore fiends, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, that song that he that he plays and the wife sort of interrupts him and then he, he gets all pissy and leaves. He actually plays that song in its entirety at the end of the movie. Um, and I think it's, it's a really nice song. It may actually be a sign that maybe he's growing up a little bit, you know, depending on how you read into it. So, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. All right, the PJ... Dynamite drop in, Monty. This is the casting swap. Um, so yeah, I, look, I don't like Garrett Hinton. I just don't. Uh, I've, I've never liked him in anything I've seen him in. He's fine here as a character actor, but there's nothing, there's nothing special about him to me. Um, so I'm thinking 2013, can I swap somebody in with like a decently high profile that might be able to show up for like five days on set and knock this out? Uh, it might be way out of left field, but I kind of landed on Tom Hardy here. Uh, I just feel like if he was in this role, it would be a little more menacing. Uh, there'd be something a little bit more, I don't know, uh, mean about it that I think would work well. So, uh, I'm very glad. Dude, I wrote down Tom Hardy at one point, <laughs> and I scratched, no, I scratched it out. But I wrote him down for Timberlake's performance, and I scratched it out, and I changed it here. So That's crazy. me... Yeah, the, I hate you. No, I so I casting swap I wrote down I, I went a little different here. I went with Chris Pine in the Justin Timberlake gym role. Okay. Because because Timberlake's fine, I have no issues with the guy, whatever. He's a musician turned actor. But Pine I think is a I really like Chris Pine and I think yeah. his he needs a new agent or something. he picks the worst movies so much of the time. Yep. Like he has a lot of bad movies, but I think he's good in them. And I think the like pine in like a Tarantino movie or something of that nature would be great. But I think pine in the Coen brothers movie would also be great. And he's a good singer. Yeah. I, he's singing into the woods and well, wish from last year, which was a big turd, but, yeah. uh, it, yeah, I think he would be good in this role. Very bit part, kind of just like a, a folk role. So I went there. I went with pine as Timberlake for the swap uh, as Jet. Yeah. 
I definitely like that. I finally watched Dungeons and Dragons a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah, mm. he's great. I, I want him in better movies. I agree with him. So it's good. I don't call. get it. Yeah, it's weird. All right, uh, last one. Extra credit. If you were gonna put a binge staffer in the movie, uh, who would it be? Easy, easy for me here. I boy. I need I need my boy Tom Velez <laughs> on on the stage with a guitar. At this fucking club, and Tom Velez. Oh, sorry, not Tom Velez. Tom fucking Maloney. Not Tom Velez. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, not, oh, sorry, Tom. Boy. Sorry, Tom Velez. Tom Maloney. TM. You managed, Tom. You just Tom. managed to offend two different Toms. That's it's impressive. Well, well, Tom Tom Velez would probably like draw a a picture of Tom Maloney. TM uh, playing <laughs> guitar at the same time, right? And we'll, the backtracking we'll begins. Very nice. <laughs> uh, Tom Maloney, not Tom Velez. Sorry. I got you. Uh, I got you. Yeah, Tom Maloney playing his guitar on the stage, and I would be I would be in the crowd with Lewin Davis, just asking what color, like what what panties he's wearing, and just screaming at him, and just you know he's he's doing his best. <laughs> there, of course. that's what I went with. What what did you go with here? Sorry, uh, Tom Velez, I wouldn't pick you. Oh, mm. <laughs> well, you got to look at that one. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I love John Goodman. I'm not. I'm not trying to get John Goodman out of this movie, but if you're telling me that that whole sequence isn't ten times funnier if that's Garrett, then you're out of your mind. <laughs> so I, I'd, I'd throw Garrett in there, and uh, you have good, you have good stories. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> they would all, they would all just be like who banged him in a particular theater or something, right? Love you, love you, GC, <laughs> love you. Uh, but yeah, all right, all right, very nice inside Lewin Davis. Um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know, man. They're, the Coens are still a mystery to me with some of their movies, and I still have a short list of a few I got to revisit and really kind of dive into. Um, but I figured before we give our ratings, maybe we could do a quick I don't know top five Cohen movies. I think we were talking about it before we recorded. We may have done this in the past, but I don't know. I think it's kind of fun to sort of state where you stand now in life see if it's changed over time a little bit so yeah, these yeah absolutely these lists are always ever evolving as we grow yeah. as people and yeah they change so i heard this is probably a different list than we gave i don't know that might have been what what have we done so we've done hudsucker proxy we've done lebowski we did yeah. a commentary for no country is that what we, i feel like that might be i think that might be it yeah. So, as right. far as so like done... dedicated shows, so but but sure. I mean, I'm sure that on one of those we gave a top, five, at least a top. Five. Absolutely, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Though, yeah, that's perfect. We're it's it's 2024. Let's give our fucking list. We want, yeah. We're gonna do five and five, like we always do. Yeah, yeah. We'll bounce back and forth. I'll, uh, I can start. I'll let you set the table. Yeah. My number five movie is the movie we are talking about right now. Inside Lewin Davis. Very nice. Spoiler Very alert. Nice. I yeah. I really. If I haven't gotten that across, I love, I really love this movie. It has a kind of a special place in my heart. I don't know. I, I, I've seen this movie a lot. Uh, it hit, you know, 11 years ago at this point. Um, yeah, and I've seen it a lot. I've seen this movie very much. I've, I've watched, I've listened to the soundtrack a lot. Uh, I think it's a really good just week in the life of this. It kind of quintessential Coen Brothers. It, it's, it's got the character pieces. It's got the quirky characters, and I think the comedy is very much underrated in this movie like it, it's kind of serious but th there's so much comedy in almost every scene and yeah I, I really really dig this movie so all right well number five for we, me 
Yeah, well, since since we've gone this far, might as well just give the ratings on this now. So, what what do you what would you give it for your letter grade? I got to give this an A, man. Yeah, this is an A for me. I, okay. I yeah, I, I I've looked I looked at a lot across Coen Brothers rankings, and I think this is it's weird. It kind of varies. This is in bottom tier for a lot of people, mid tier, and then it's in top tier for some. It's it's weird. Yeah, it's it's kind of across the board. But I have to give this an A. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Um, all right, so for me, Lewin Davis, I'll give you the rating, and then I'll give you my number five. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I haven't seen this movie many times. This might be the third time I've ever seen it, um, and I respect the way this is made. You know, it's you can see the similarities with Oh Brother, and I think even Lebowski at times it has that for sure. like yep. quirkiness edge to it. It has a kind of wide cast of characters that are all very distinctive from one another. You really don't, in most Coen Brothers movies, you don't get confused as to who is who ever, even if they're just like little bit parts. Um, I really like that. This is definitely one of the early Oscar Isaac performances that made me really love this guy. Um, he's he's an incredibly talented actor. I want to see him do more great stuff. Um, but th- this is, a, I think, a great role of his. And there's a lot to like here. All that being said, this is a for me. This is a B movie for sure. Um, I, I I like it. I don't love it, but I'm very like mystified by it. And and I do think that over time, I think I'll get more and more out of it. Um, so yeah, so it's a B for me. But nice. uh, all right. So for my number five in the Coen Brothers rankings, um, so. You can imagine number one's pretty chalk for me, but three through five fluctuate a little bit. Um, for number five, though, I'm going with Miller's Crossing. Um, totally interesting and unique gangster movie, really unlike others that I had seen up to that point when I first saw that movie. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think about that one scene with Albert Finney and the machine gun, like, I don't know, once a month. Uh, shit is just fucking fantastic, so... Uh, yeah, Miller's Crossing, number five for me. That was number six for me, so. Ah, gotcha. Uh, all right, my number four is the first Coen Brothers movie I ever watched, Mm. which was Raising Arizona. Ah. Uh, yeah, I remember renting this movie from the library, Mid-Continent Public Library, back when I was probably too young to watch it <laughs> i mean i watched pulp fiction at eight this is probably like the same time eight or nine or ten That's or whatever fun. the fuck i was and i was like oh nicholas cage sitting on a lawn chair let's go uh and yeah ever since it's i think this movie's really funny uh yeah i don't know what else there's is to say about raising arizona i really like raising arizona so number four what about you what is your number four Dude, Raising Arizona. You want to talk about movies that just have lines that you quote all the time? Uh, I, I fucking say, turn to the right. I say that all the time. Nobody. Again, this this is just like a, my fucking lot in life. Nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about with these references. It's only for me. But um, Yeah, number four for me. Uh, movie that blew my mind when I saw it, and it still it kind of amazes me. Um, I referenced it earlier. I still couldn't exactly tell you what all of it is about. But, uh, man, John Turturro, John Goodman, Barton Fink, man. Like, mm. it's, uh, it's a weird movie. Um, it's got great performances. It's got a lot of quirk and some just strange choices. But it's fucking entertaining. And I think it really holds up. But, yeah, it's number four for me, Barton Fink. Very nice. 
okay. My number three is Fargo. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. I love Fargo. I rewatch it at least usually once a year. Francis McDormand is fucking great. Just kills it. I mean, and spawned a great TV series that's an yes. anthology series that, I mean, I've liked all, every one of them, some more than the last, but I've liked them all equal, not equally. I've liked them all for their own thing. Um, yeah, I, it, I really love Fargo. That's that's where I'm at. What about yeah. you for three? Yeah, I mean, for me, number three is like one of their most celebrated movies, and it's, it's fucking Fargo. God damn it. We both have movies mm. Fargo, so... Yeah, uh, Fargo's awesome. Uh, Fargo, so here's a little piece of trivia for you, all of you folks who go back to the Joe Blow days. Um, back when we had Movie Fan Central, I, I've probably told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I was banned from Movie Fan Central because I was a Tarantino fan, and at the time, I did not get Coen Brothers movies at all. I'd seen Fargo. I think I'd maybe seen Blood Simple. That was it. And somebody was calling me out in the forums, and they're just like, oh, you know, Tarantino doesn't have an ounce of the talent that the Coens do. And I called that person out, and I was banned forever <laughs> from Movie Fan Central. So you're talking to one of probably a very select group of people that was banned from Movie Fan Central for life. It's amazing. Yeah, but it was over Fargo. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you got for two? Number two is 1,000% your number one. It is, where's the money, Lebowski? Where's it's the money, Lebowski? Money, shithead. <laughs> it's Lebowski. So rewatchable. Gets Hell better yes. every rewatch. It, it, another staple. Probably watch this twice a year. It's, it's so fucking funny. The poster is literally, as we're recording this, hanging above my fucking desk. Uh, Beautiful. Absolutely Beautiful. love Lebowski. Yep. That's, that's where I'm at. What about you for two? Two, uh, like Lewin Davis, incredible soundtrack, awesome performances, funny, awesome adaptation of the source material. Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Love the movie. Um, if you love the movie, there's a doc, uh, sorry, not a documentary, a concert film called Down from the Mountain that features most of the performers on the soundtrack performing live. They're all their bluegrass songs from the movie. Um, really, really cool. The reason I bring it up. There's also one for Inside Lewin Davis. I believe that one is called Another Day, Another Time, where the Coens did something similar. The artists who worked on the soundtrack for Lewin Davis had a live performance. A um, mm. little more connective tissue between both movies. But, yeah, I, I love O Brother. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Okay. My number one is... Uh... What's the most you ever lost at a coin toss, Jack? <laughs> Fucking no goddamn country for old men. It is just one of the two classic movies from 2007, along with its companion piece, There Will Be Blood. Oh, oh, There Will Be Blood. Oh, no, not an Eastern problem. Oh, there Will Be Blood, filmed at the same time. I mean, I, this, I have so much history with No Country, I... I'm obsessed with this movie. I love every bit of it. Uh, Dune coming out in a few weeks with the Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin reunion is oh, makes my heart all flutter. I love No Country so much. We did a commentary for it where Alex and I tried to convince you that you need to stop being such a piece of shit. I remember <laughs> years ago. Yep. You have a different unfortunately, opinion. I am still that piece of shit. So <laughs> hey, it's all good to each their own. 
that's where I'm at. I love No Country so much. Mm. So, yep, yep. Well, yeah, I mean, if I wanted to nominate a film whose uh, book is objectively better than the movie, then yeah, I would have gone for No Country for Old Man, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, yeah, Lebowski's number one. Uh, Lebowski's number one on the list of Coen Brothers movies. Lebowski's probably number one all time. I don't know whether or not they have made a movie better than The Big Lebowski. I'm, I'm not talking about Coen Brothers. I'm talking about The Earth. Um, but I certainly haven't found it yet. So, uh, yeah. Great movie. Uh, took me a couple of tries when I originally saw it to get into it. But, man, it holds the fuck up. And uh, it's a classic. It's an absolute classic. So, all right, man. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Quite a conversation. Um, I think it was worth having. I'm glad we, we ended up picking this one over a couple of the other Cohen options. Uh, but it is making me think. I'm, I think I'm going to go and rewatch. Uh, see, so the others that we were thinking about were A Serious Man. And I, I did have a thought of maybe doing Burn After Reading as well. But um, Oof, Love that. Well, that one too. Yeah. That, yeah. that would probably be number six or seven, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's right there. Yeah. Yep. Clo- Clooney is just fucking cooking in that movie. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. So, uh, all right. That's, uh, that is it for this week. But of course, next time we uh, will be covering another movie. And like I fucked up this episode, we always try to tie it into a theatrical release. And we've got <laughs> something coming down the pike that makes some sense to tie into. So, Chad, what do we have for next time? That's right. We're going to ride the sandworm in the Dune hype with Denny Villeneuve's first American feature film, Prisoners. It's It's been on our movie homework ideas uh, document for ever since we started this show. Mm-hmm. I think that was this a user suggestion? I think it might have been. I don't even know. I think um, that one might be. Yeah. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. I think that it's, it's prime time to do it. I think Denny's batting a thousand. I haven't watched this movie in a few years, so I think it's time to revisit and we get tied in with Dune. The Dune yeah. Part Two coming. So yeah, excellent. All right, prisoners, stay tuned for that. Uh, binge movie homework at gmail.com. Send your thoughts, questions, comments there. We will get them. We will think about them and possibly integrate them into the show. Um, you can find binge media if you go at binge media on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook and Patreon. We also have a TikTok now, so uh, I'm unfamiliar with TikTok, but however you find people on TikTok, search Binge Media. You'll be able to find us there. And uh, yeah, don't forget, Patreon, five bucks a month. You're getting Pete's commentaries. And uh, yeah, I got a little something I'm working on on the side. Maybe uh, maybe we'll start talking about that soon. So, um, All right, Chad, anything else for the people? I don't the man. All right, well, I'm saying peace. Thank you for listening to Movie Homework, a Binge Media production. Follow the Binge Media Podcast Network at bingemedia.com, patreon.com slash binge media, or wherever you get podcasts. Got a movie suggestion? An award suggestion? Send us an email at bingemoviehomework at gmail.com. Binge Media.